pronounce your name correctly for me. Denis de Francesco. So in English, that would be Dennis de Francesco. Where are you, uh, where were you raised? Where, where are you from? Because you're obviously French, but we're recording this in Prague and in English. <laughs> so. Tu as été élevé où? Ah oui, je suis français, j'ai été élevé en France et j'ai travaillé d'abord dans une banque pendant 17 ans. Et après, je suis parti dans les pays de l'Est, à Budapest, pour être photographe. Okay. So, he was born and raised in France, in the South. And he worked in the bank for 17 years. And he had enough of it, so he quit. Became a photographer in France. And later on, he moved to uh, Hungary. Uh -huh. Budapest. Budapest. I heard Budapest yeah. in there, yeah. Okay. And so, one of the questions I always ask everybody is, sort of how did you get to be a creative person so like were your parents creative did a teacher inspire you in this case it sounds like you actually did banking for a while and then something sort of sparked his creativity so how did he what's the the sort of nature versus nurture kind of philosophy of like how do creative people get made yeah he was creative from a young age uh, he can remember it started when he was eight Uh, nobody in his family was uh, an artist and uh, he liked to transform things to do uh, make drawings and he was kind of a bad ki kid in the school you know he was kicked out four or five times from different schools kicked out of school right four or five times and uh, but one of the teachers said to him that he had gold in the hands without elaborating on how you know what he meant by that but uh, it stuck with him all these years and of course a couple of decades later it turned out to be true sure what did he get kicked out of school for no he was not paying attention <laughs> to uh, the program he had his own program he was a lot of you know a lot of daydreaming and uh That's it? Yeah, but well, I'm sure there was oh, more was to it. Say, but... Mine was like drugs <laughs> and alcohol and like sex in the wrong places. Like I did all kinds of weird stuff that got me in lots of trouble. None of that. No, so like no, yeah, very, very pure. Well, you, you have to, yeah, you have to put it in context. Okay. So he's a little bit older than us. So if you don't mind me, how old is he? 65. 65. Wow, you look stunning for 65. Yeah. 65. Okay. So you have I need to... to know your skincare regime or something. It's good. Okay. And yeah. Today he's... I am sick a little bit. Yeah. He's a... I'm more yeah, beautiful. Without... <laughs> <laughs> no, because the temperature in France and here is like 20 degrees difference, you know. Really? So we, we just drove from France couple of days ago wow. and uh, so in the south of france it was still summer and here it's winter pretty much so it's not winter trust me it gets a lot colder than this. i know <laughs> i know but compared to the south of france that's what i'm saying yeah it's lovely here right now it's yeah. autumn so it's, it's a strong autumn day yeah it's, it's, it's still fine but anyway so yeah you have to put it back in context back in the 60s uh france was uh sort of conservative and there was tremendous respect for authorities meaning 
teachers, the police, and so on. Not anymore. Not anymore. Exactly. But back then, you know, you had respect for your teachers. So if you were not on with the program, you were out. That's it. Okay. Very simple. All right. So... so so we went through school. Did he so finished his uh, formal sort of like governmental education? Any university? Any continuing education? Or was it sort of more towards banking? His education, uh, let's say high school education, he stopped right before the main diploma. Uh -huh. If you know what I'm talking graduation, about, graduation. Yeah, yeah, graduation exactly before you go to university. Okay. So he does not have that degree he does not have it okay which in france was and still is a big problem but that did not deter him from you know pursuing a, a career in uh, in banking and the way it happened is in 1972 he passed some tests with ibm was the beginning of the computer uh, area so he got hired by a bank and uh Stayed there for 17 years. Yeah, so he got certified with some technology, basically. Right. It was uh, the absolute beginning of uh, computer technology in, in, I would say, the real world, everyday world, you know, versus, uh, you know, uh, rocket science and all, all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, I was going to say banking was probably right. one of the first industries to exactly. take on computers. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So started out like that, and uh, 17 years later, he quit. Was not easy to find people back then, so they were they did not mind to train people even if they did not have this high school diploma. Uh -huh. So even though he did not have the diploma, they actually paid for his training, and that allowed him to have a, a decent career. That is interesting because there used to be a time when they would train you for a job. Like it almost didn't. You could there were job many jobs throughout the world like that you could sort of apply for a job and they would train you in it whether you had the training now there's this expectation that somehow universities or higher education basically pre-train you and make you qualified for a job that's a very different transition Absolutely. i never thought yeah, about yeah. that yeah but talking 1972 yeah, and uh there was nobody they couldn't find anybody that's well, why and, they didn't and mind. in southern france i mean that's not a you know, huge market of people yeah out there. So he got the training and he was able to make a pretty good career. But in his mind, that, that wasn't, uh, he could not see himself uh, working in a bank all life. He could, just couldn't. Which leads to the next question, transition. So you, went, you were in this banking career and then how did you, it, what happened that sort of made you say, I need to make a change in my life, I need to go this other direction? Basically, his job was taking place after normal banking hours so when the banks were closing to the public mm -hmm. he would come in with the team and work on the on the computer uh, oh, okay yeah, pretty okay, much so overnight and weekends well there were a couple of different shifts you know for example from 4 p.m to uh 11 p.m or from 11 p.m till 7 a.m or something something like this oh that would suck yeah okay. so yeah. in other words he had a lot of free time during the day yeah so he got interested in photography he still had a lot of friends at the you know university so he would hang out with them and uh learn photography and in the process he got to photograph some nice uh coeds <laughs> some nice girls <laughs> and that's how he got started with i have the, to admit i'm you know i'm a photographer that's my background his name sounds very familiar to me for some reason i 
don't know why. Like I even did a Google search and I sort of couldn't figure it out. But it all sounds he. I mean, I you know I'm a fan of like Jock Sturges and other people who do like naturalist photographs. Is that where he sort of rolled through? Yeah, sure. Okay. But you know, we're talking way before the internet even existed. I know, but but I feel like his name is very familiar yeah. from like early Met Art kind of stuff, like very early Met Art. Even before that, actually, okay. because he got started with magazines. Right. Yeah, when magazines were big. Still. Big. Are you sure you should be answering for him? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah, I know. I, we work. Okay. We work together. So okay. <laughs> yes. Well, elaborate on. That. I mean, I find the whole. Keep in mind, I come from America. We're rather puritanical about things like nudity and yeah. stuff like this. So, like, the fact that he could do something and sort of make a very good living at working with the the female form and things like this, found it absolutely fascinating because. I wish I could have done that in America, but now I can't. And then, of course, now there's no money in it anymore. Right. Because, I mean, it's absolutely. just, it's the, that whole industry is just mm -hmm. gone. Exactly. So I'm interested in, like, sort of the early times of that industry. So maybe some stories about that? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, it's it's a typical story of, you know, the snowball effect. I was going to say, there's, I, I doubt there's a typical story for this. But well, okay. you know, yeah, so you he do was one, doing one that. One leads to another. Right, exactly. Yeah. So your first, you know, first publication leads to a second publication and so on. But the way he started, as he mentioned before, is that he was working in the bank, had a lot of free time. So he was doing pictures. And first of, you know, it was like really soft. Not even erotic, but really soft. Sure, news. glamour photos. That's yeah, what they you know, and then you have again. You have to put it in context. In the seventies, you know, free love. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, this this uh, this computer uh, banking, you know, was new, and they were overpaid for what they were doing. Because the banks were scared that they, you know, if somebody quit, it would be very difficult to uh, to find some a replacement. Must of have course, been nice. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. These days, one guy leaves, you have a hundred waiting outside to take the place. But back then, it was not the case. It was uh, job security was really, really high, and for this reason, he was uh, able to make a good living and still have a lot of free time. So. During that free time, he was doing photography. First, he started off really soft. And then, you know, as you get more comfortable with the models, you know, things take a different turn. Oh, I do. No, I've and, done this kind of work myself. I've done glamour. I've done right. nude. I've worked with porn actresses. I get yeah. it. Yeah. No, I know all about it. So and I, so now the, the relationship to Hungary also makes sense as well. Yeah, he was, it was a one-man show, basically. He was doing, you know, finding the models. He was uh, doing the sets, preparing the sets and, the, you know, the ideas, finding the ideas for the photo shoots, you know, because mm -hmm. back then you could take two, three days to do a shoot, you know. Yeah, back then shoots right. were very well funded. Exactly. They had, they had, like, but the, basically ugh. he was financing this uh, himself at first, you know, mm -hmm. and then... He had a first publication and, uh, like I said, you know, snowball effect and one thing leading to another. And what he really liked was to uh, to prepare, find an idea 
to prepare the set to get every detail just just right sure and then the pictures were just um I don't want to say the icing on the cake, but you know, they're the, the byproduct the, of all the work. Right, I totally exactly. get all that. You, yeah. The the reason why I'm interested in the background of doing the this sort of uh, I don't know erotic whatever kind of however he wants to phrase it um, uh, photographs is because in his current work I, I see the influences of Absolutely. sexuality and sensuality Absolutely. and eroticism still coming through I look yeah. at the the marble brass whip the, the the even the gorilla with the balls I mean uh, to him freedom is of the utmost importance freedom of speech freedom to create freedom to behave the way you want as long you know within reason of course laws i generally stay yeah. within laws right but some laws are kind of fun to break as long as yeah, you don't sure. get caught yeah so the evolution his personal evolution is is of course uh a direct product of uh can i say this of of all his experiences in life the freedom to uh, think create act the way you want you know no restrictions uh, as far as uh, creativity is concerned you know of course you you know we have laws and laws must be respected to some extent of course as you mentioned before some laws are fun to break i have always said there are two things i'm perfectly fine with being arrested for one is my art and the other is sex in public <laughs> I'm good with those two. Other than that, I don't want to be arrested for anything. Right. Were you ever arrested for which? In, for sex in public in the Middle East? In the Middle East? No, no. In the Middle East, I was extremely good boy, like to the point of boring almost. Yeah. Really, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you don't want to. You don't. There are certain places you don't want to push the laws. Right. And that's one of them. Yeah, like you you don't want to play with the edge of laws in the Middle East. Exactly, Europe a bit more flexible, yeah. especially here in Czech Republic. They're very tolerant. Yes, it's one of the reasons I like coming here. Yeah, it's it's a great country actually. So well, uh, yeah, so freedom and uh, all my life so this huh? Yeah, so you know the, the the erotic business evolved okay from uh magazines and then he moved to hungary to have access to more models you know after the fall of communism yep. and it was uh, a huge industry there for yeah, a while yeah it was and then the internet he saw early on that the internet had great potential yeah again again i said i know i said this before but it's all about context you have to remember the context in the 90s. You know, a lot of people didn't know even the internet existed. 90s. Yeah. Yeah, no, mid-90s. I, 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 was, I was in university, so like they were playing with the internet at the university, but not, yeah, it wasn't really that big. Right. So he saw, he felt that the internet would explode. Mm -hmm. So in the mid-90s, he started with, uh, you know, he still had magazines, contracts, and he was also he started his website and the website evolved and uh yeah so that's yeah so that's that's the background so but simultaneously he was thinking about art right so and again so we're still getting to this sort of how does this transition i'm utterly fascinated by this like 
high school dropout, bank working in finance, banking, computers to be erotica, yeah. whatever we want yeah, to call sure. it, transitioning now in only the past how many years did you was is this transition to producing uh, purely art forms? How long ago did that start? Ça fait trois ans que tu fais ça maintenant ouais, à plein temps. Oui, à plein temps, mais ça, yeah. ça ouais, cinq ans, cinq ans. So five years, but three years full time. Yeah, he had a show in Venice, Italy. I saw in that in 2017. Yeah. But yeah. basically, this it, it's pretty much the same system. You know, he was uh, working in the bank, and simultaneously he was doing photography. So he was working. As a photographer and simultaneously slowly started to do pieces you know art pieces and then finally he sold his company and now he's devoting his time 100 to his art and in his art i've noticed that he had paintings prints i think photographs sculpture all these kinds of things now i come from a very very academic rigorous background we were taught not to go between mediums. We were like, if you're a painter, you're a painter. You're a sculptor, you're a sculptor. You're a photographer, you're a photographer. Stay there. Stay in your lane. But you've chosen to not do that. Why? Yeah, he refuses to restrict himself to one medium. Uh, life is too short. You have to break the conventions. You have to follow your own instinct. And that's exactly what he does. Every art piece that he makes has a little part of himself, a personal story, a, an event, which he's, he tries to include in uh, his work. And it does not matter if it's uh, marble from Italy or steel from Czech Republic or ping pong balls, because uh, he's doing a piece with ping pong balls. Okay, because I have or, not seen that on the website. It, it's really cool, actually. And, um, and of course, uh, bronze. It doesn't matter. He refuses to restrict himself. He wants to exploit. And he's asking this question to himself. Okay, is because he's not a sculptor. He's not a painter. He's an idea man. So he he's wondering if you can be considered an artist if you play with all these different mediums and have other people do the work for you. Can very, you still be Jeff Koons? Right. Yeah, exactly. Jeff Koons is a perfect example oh, of this. But, but he, he does he does uh, work, uh, you know, he does some work <laughs> himself, you know. He, okay. he gets so involved. 100% Jeff Koons. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. Can you still be considered an artist if you're not doing the work yourself or if you're if you were spread out so much. Oh, well, different... I mean, there, there's Saul LeWitt. Do you know, he, do you know Saul LeWitt? He was an artist that all he did was he actually wrote instructions for how the work should be painted. Literally, it would be like, take this wall, divide it in half, paint the right side this particular color, paint the left side this particular color. And he, and he would just fax the <laughs> instructions to a museum. And then the museum would just, paint it on whatever wall that was so the proportions would change everything would change depending on whatever it's installed in and somebody else would paint it he never painted them yeah so so the i mean the the history in the art world of passing on certain skills crafts etc kinds of things is it's long standing i mean look look back at the the renaissance they had entire you know um 
workshops full of assistants doing much of the work and things like this. So there's no, that's not a new thing to have somebody else manufacture or, or sort of construct something. That's not horribly new. Yeah. But people do still question it. They, they, they wonder for sure about like how much is the art, the artists and how much is the manufacturing exactly. process. And you're absolutely right. And this question he's asking to himself, actually, he's not wondering what so much what other people are thinking about the way he's, he's doing things. It's, it's a personal question on every piece that he puts out. There are the names, the signatures of all the people who participated in the construction of the piece. That's cool. Okay. So, in but, uh, Jeff Koons are the only ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeff Koons is just a Jeff Koons. Yeah. Right. Just, everybody else yeah, yeah. is behind the scenes. Well, so exactly. Under my name, you know, but so there's there's his name, and then underneath or next, whatever, uh, yeah. is is the names of all the people who got involved. Nice way to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it 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 sort of uh, allows for a sense of transparency in the whole thing versus just saying, you know, I'm the brand name and you have to work for me uh, kind of thing. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. Each piece has its own text written in French by uh, someone who speaks excellent French, you know, somebody who's trained as a writer. He okay. Has and I, I want to talk more about this, but go on, finish this. Yeah, so, but this man, so he does not write the text himself. So he hires this man who's a professional writer who has a very specific style. You would have to read French uh, fluently to, uh, to understand how good it is. But in order for this man to be able to write the text, he had to interview him for many hours to like define, like yeah, to define the style, the direction in which he should be going to, you know, with the text. I totally get it. And I'm fascinated by it because one thing that's been coming up again and again throughout my conversations with people is basically this idea of an artist statement and who should write it and how should it be written. Some people believe that an artist should be the person who writes their statement. I believe that artists are not very good writers because if they were good writers, they would have been writers. Yeah. So since they're not good writers, they make visual art. So trying to find somebody else to do it, is, I personally think is a fabulous idea. If I could afford to pay somebody else to write all my artist statements, I would absolutely do that. But a lot of people think that's a bad idea. There are many you know, equal amounts of people on both sides of the fence. Some people believe that artists should write their own statements. Some people believe that curators or writers or ghost writers or whatever you want to equate them to could and should write the artist's statement. How did you come to the decision that somebody else should write it? How do you, and then how did you, you know, it's not like how did you pay for it, but like, well, basically, how did you pay for it? Like, did you, I mean, did you, are you, because I know of some curators that oftentimes will do trades that like the, a curator will write an artist statement in trade for a piece of art. So like, do you do how, you know, cause I'm trying to, the podcast is, has the intention of trying to learn how to be able to do this. So if somebody's listening and they're an artist and they want to get a writer to write their statement because they're really bad with it, what's a technique? So what technique have you come up with to be able to get a writer? The writer he's talking about 
has uh, a show on the radio, on a French radio station. So he was uh, on a regular basis, he was listening to him and he loved the style of this man. Now, so the radio, what, what kind of radio show did he have? C'est quoi qui fait uh, ce Marc uh, la About radio? the Il arts? Il fait que des portraits, euh, des portraits sur, euh, sur Rosca, c'est ça? Après, je pourrais jamais, mais enfin, bon, no, it's, en français. Uh, he's like, he does portraits of, uh, so, not celebrities, yeah, yeah politi politicians, week, uh, uh, celebrities. So an interviewer, you know, basically, a journalist. No, no, portraits, more like... Um, Biography, biographies, kind of things, yeah. you know. Uh, no, 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 it's plus que la biography. Il va chercher vraiment les trucs vraiment loin. He loves to dig really deep into details and anecdotes and stories. Yeah, yeah. about. Uh, but à propos de la personne ou d'un événement particulier. Non, d'un événement ou de la personne. It doesn't. It can be an event or the person behind the event. Yeah. He likes to, to really go deep into uh, the oui, details, investigations. investigations. He has he has an ability to extract information that is deep inside. Okay, so essentially, what happened is that he was listening to to this man as a, a you know as a like a fan, uh -huh. and then he contacted him, and the man answered, and he said. Would you be interested in writing text for my art pieces? And the man said, yes, but I need to understand who you are, where you come from, and so on. So they had many, many really long conversations. So this man could f try, to, uh, try to figure out who he is. And based on that, then they started collaborating on writing uh, text for the art pieces that he's making. It's so, a fascinating sort of process. So, so basically, he was making his art, and then he sort of found somebody who was a, a similar kind of aesthetic, but in a different medium, basically. So, somebody who sort of did use the written word or the spoken word yeah. in this case in a in a way that he connected with. Exactly, but it was not easy at first because he's very introverted. So he does not speak. He does not speak out so easily. Yeah. So uh, they had to first establish a, a strong relationship, a relationship of trust, before he could give out information, uh, really personal information about himself. And uh, in the end, you know, it worked out really well because, uh, well you have to read French. But if you if you read French and you read the text, it's really interesting. It's very nice. Well, that, I mean, that leads to the thing is, I've been talking to like gallerists and other people like this, and they always say that when you're selling a piece of art, you're selling a story. Or more the point is like, you are selling the story. Yeah. So I find it interesting that he chose to share his stories with somebody else and then they sort of wrote the story that's theoretically is seducing the viewer the buyer the collector the whatever the kind of thing like mm -hmm. is that so that's what you've ended up so you so they ended up writing the story that is the about the work yes yeah that's pretty much it yeah all right so leading on that how you know not to be blunt about it but like how has it has it been positive has he had good experiences with the art world because is it dramatically different or very much the same it's same exactly. same level of difficulty it really is of course it's a different field but to get in 
is tremendously difficult. And that's sort of what I'm getting at is, is like, for lack of a better way of explaining it, that's got to be tough. I mean, you have a, a, a reputation already built and he sort of has to, or did he have to, I should say that, did he have to like play down his previous career in order to be accepted in the art world or has the career previous careers helped in as a, for acceptance in the art world? He doesn't feel like it's affecting his uh, career in art uh, until now, at least. Of course, some people are uh, aware of his past. He doesn't play it down. He doesn't promote it. Um, it's what it is. Okay. He made a lot of money with this and he's absolutely fine with this. And uh, he understands, of course, that some people might be shocked by some of the pieces that he's making. But overall, right now, it's uh, no, it's not affecting uh, his position in the art world so so far. But it may change because, as you mentioned, it's um, you know his past is uh, reflects itself in in all the work that that he does. It so, did to me when I looked at it. I was like, he's got a background in something. That, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. I that's had. it, it's, and he doesn't have any problem with it. Okay, um, but I can imagine some of the art world, but, but there's always of course, some of the of art course, world that has a problem with course. everything. So it's not well, that special. You know, for example, you know, the monkey. Uh, is it so a monkey far, or is it a gorilla? It's a gorilla. Yeah, it's a gorilla. Gorilla. Chimp. No? Yeah, I was going to no, say, no. it's a chimp. Yeah? Chimpanzee, yeah. Yeah, and, okay. Uh, so. <laughs> Baboon, whatever. Yeah, the ape was uh, originated from, a, from an actual photograph. This is this is not uh, out of his imagination. This is real. Yeah. And he saw he saw the the photograph of this ape in the exact same position the sculpture is in, and he said, you know, it's unbelievable. This ape is free. He doesn't care that people see his balls hanging out, and you know, he, he's free, and it represents my vision of freedom. That's what he said. You know. Okay. So. Um, not your position of freedom. His, though. yeah, his, okay. yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Again, freedom is the key word. Um, okay. Well, within that, that we're talking about a large scale, like very large scale bronze sculpture. That five is meters. Five tall? No, five meters long. long. So that's okay, about fifteen feet. The, but so a bronze sculpture that's currently installed in Prague as part of the sculpture line. Yeah. But so my big so like the question I have is like, okay, so sculpture line and any other place that you might exhibit this or whatever, they're going to need some proposal. They're going to need some yep. some grant written or something like this to get funding. Because I mean, even just transporting it here and insurance and all this kind of stuff, like you got to write paperwork and get sure. funding somehow. How did you get funding to make a five meter long chimpanzee with brass? It's self funded. Nuts. It's funded by really yes, self funded. Yeah. Oh, that's so, astounding in and of itself. Yeah, as you imagine, it's not for everyone. You know, the this type of sculpture is not for everyone. So he had extreme difficulty in getting a, a spot. Extreme. Yes, and, and that's got, what I'm trying to get right. at. I want to know about these difficulties. What, yeah. what, what did you run into? Because part of this process of this podcast is both to learn from positive experiences, but also learn from negative or difficult experiences like so that people might 
can avoid these difficulties in the future. So like what difficulties have you had in placing this sculpture? Well, many, because originally, you know, it's one thing, if you look at a 3D rendering, if you look at some photographs, you know, the committee would say, yeah, why not? But when the, the thing is actually made and it's 15 feet long, five meters, and then, you know, you realize you have to put it somewhere. Wait, you're telling me that a committee went like, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. We're happy to have that in right. our public space. Yeah. Committees were okay. Yeah. At, well, yes. Until someone said, hey, are you out of your mind? We cannot accept this thing here. It's no way. Right. So, so where did he apply that or, or did he have to apply to like numerous different cities and be turned down in numerous different yeah. cities until finally he found yeah. a spot for it? Well, yeah, pretty much. And the, the problem is, uh, you know, Prague is uh, different uh, districts, you know, one, two, three and so on. So each one has uh, a city hall, uh, yeah, a that, mayor, whatever. That one would never be put in Prague one. It's well, far too. it was supposed to be. It's far too tourist. They would yeah, never but allow that. It originally was supposed to be. Really? But when the time came, it was no longer okay. So he went to Proc 2, to Proc 3. He looked at different locations. And every time there was something, you know, you know how it is. You know, you have liability. You know how it is in the States. You know, you have a tree root coming out of the sidewalk. It's a million dollar lawsuit. You know this, right? I do. So here it's not as bad. But still, there's liability. So even if somebody's saying, okay, we could put it here, then you have a fire department saying, no, there's, it's too narrow or this and that. It obstructs uh, vision for, for traffic and so on. So finally, this went on for several weeks. I'm just thinking of these committee meetings where people are just sitting there trying to defend the choice of, yeah, let's put a five meter or five meter big chimpanzee with big brass nuts on our public property like that would be the funniest meeting to sit in on yeah sure but go so on. <laughs> it, it went on for a few weeks and it looked hopeless but you know if there's a will there's a way yeah sculpture line was absolutely because i remember the whole process i was with him in hungary when the thing happened okay and they were right because originally he built one which he still has small for one. Venice. It's not small, but it's smaller. It's a meter seventy, like a human yeah. scale. Okay, so yeah, uh, so human size. Human size, yeah. And this thing was made in uh, Italy by some top-notch uh, sculptors. Originally, this thing was supposed to be exposed here in Prague, but then, he, yeah, he he did a three D animation rendering of of the project, and they accepted it. And then he had the idea of making a gigantic ape. Chimpanzee. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> so he proposed the idea to the head of Sculpture Line, who was extremely enthusiastic about the idea. He said, that's brilliant. So of course they went back and forth a few times. So do you think that the city would accept it? And the guy, of course, you know, when you really want something, you're looking, you're only looking at the uh, positive. Yeah, rose colored glasses. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So the guy say, sure, why not? You know, sure. I think it will be fine with the city, with the committee. So he went ahead and started the procedure of building the sculpture. And that's no small feat, actually. It's, no. It, is, is it one piece or multiple pieces? 
Well, it's a, it's a very long process. Uh, it's uh, multiple pieces that are welded together right. and it's a, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's it's really Well, but at this point for transport and all that, it's one piece. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, everything looked okay. Transport was organized and then it arrived in Czech Republic and all of a sudden it's not okay anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, it's not, you know, if it was the 170 meter uh, version, you put it in a van and, you know, off you go. But when it's five meters, the logistics behind, uh, you know, is totally different. Absolutely. You're talking cranes and, and, not, and semis. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You need a huge Fort crane. Lifts, yes. at least, at least, if not and a crane. And not to mention the tremendous disappointment you feel. You feel betrayed say what the fuck you know it was okay and now it's not okay anymore what is you know i used to run a public sculpture program yeah. much like sculpture line but in the united states yeah. so i fully know this i've gotten to the point where i literally am bolting down a sculpture and then the people are like oh no we don't want that here yeah and you're like but you approved it for the yeah. past six months you've yeah. said yes 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 and then literally on the day when i'm putting it in you say no yeah. what do you do yeah it's it's a very difficult thing when you're trying to work well i mean this is a very interesting dynamic that like i don't work with because i work sort of smaller and let's say private whereas you're trying to do something that is literally for the public in the public whether the public likes it or not so like it's being placed there by the powers that be and the public only knows about it once it's actually there i mean so like working in that public sphere is a very unique thing that not all artists do so choosing to do that sort of set yourself up for a, a, some potential difficulties for sure yeah but he was he was uh, very persistent and it lasted i mean this whole fiasco lasted for a few weeks until finally he saw the the light at the end of the tunnel and you have to know that the uh, the spot where it's at right now is private property that's a huge difference yeah but still it's private property but you know uh the, the city has the right to refuse really yeah but because it's private property technically you can do more or less what you want until the city intervenes and say no we do not want this and that was the risk. They took a risk. They took a chance that by placing the statue where it is right now, the city would blow a fuse and say, get this thing out of here right now. But he... When he knew the second he saw this thing out of the foundry, out of the mold, he knew this would be at least a, a popular success. It'll you know, be popular the, one way or another. Right. Like, but so like, for positive or for negative, it, it will be memorable. Yes. And so when I remember, because I was there when we placed it in uh, at the hotel, and within five minutes, the thing was down on the ground. There was already a crowd of people. It became more and more popular to where now tour operators, you know, uh actually include that on uh on the circuit sure yeah and i would imagine selfies with the big <laughs> chimpanzee yeah. nuts are very entertaining and some people yeah. are really bold you know <laughs> i'd, I'd go up someone. and ride the nuts yeah yeah, yeah. 
Sure, why not? Yeah. Even some women are really, <laughs> really yeah, bold. Yeah, I mean, of course, some people are shy, you know, and they try to, you know, but some people don't care. They, I mean, they go, they go for it. You know, it's in the Czech Republic. Yeah. Yeah, he feels like women are are helping to make this a tremendous, at least popular success, you know, uh, and and it turns out to be really a consistent success. It was not like a, a one week success. And then you say, oh, what, the, you know, whatever, yeah, you forget you know. about no, it. A lot, lot of is, things are like that. Exactly. This is a continuous uh, popular success. Yeah, people people really set things up, you know, the positions and the, you know, it's it's well, th this is one of those situations where I think social media has been to your advantage. Yeah, like absolutely. very much to your advantage, absolutely. because if this had been installed 20 years ago, it just it just would have been installed and nobody really would have probably thought much of it. And then it would have left and nobody really probably would have thought much of it. But yeah. the, the, the interactivity of social media and the perpetuating of the interest through social media is the thing that is really driving a, a continued interest in it. Yes? No? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, and, yeah. so well, which leads to a question of like, are... Is he using social media a lot? Is it working well for him? How does it work for his sort of artistic practice in general? Est-ce que le, le, le social media uh, t'aide beaucoup? Tu, tu, tu es oui, je pense que... Oui. Yeah, sure. Instagram, Facebook, and all. Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's also a lot of work, you know, because you, you have to sort out, you know, get the best posts and then forward and, you know... I mean, it's 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 a it's a job in itself, right? Which is one of my sort of big issues behind social media and the arts is like, I like you have. A, a, I'm just gonna be blunt about it again. Like you, you have this incredibly luxurious artistic life because you have employees, you have people that work for you. I've been doing arts for twenty some odd years. I've never had a, even an intern, much less actual employees. So you have this really sort of envious life in the arts that like I'm sitting here and like, how did he do it? But anyways, it's very difficult for younger artists or maybe not as uh, well off artists or not as famous artists to be able to find the time, the energy, the wherewithal to do this full-time job of the social media stuff. So that's a hard thing. Like, do you, I guess the question would be, do you have any, tips or tricks on sort of how to use social media well because you seem to use it well or she, she's, she seems to use it well yeah the, she's the one taking care of the social media uh part but it's a job in itself it it it, it really can work to your advantage but you have to also remember if you're a young artist you may not have the money but you have the energy you have the time may not have the time but yeah some people don't well, if you're time. 20 you have all life ahead of you yeah i'm 46 you know? yeah. i still don't understand social media right. at all like i would love to be able to hire somebody but i don't even know i wouldn't even know where to start how do you hire somebody for that yeah social media is a you know a, a strange beast because you can be working 
<laughs> she will not share her secrets. We'll see. And that, okay, come on. Okay, this is one of my... No, it's incredible. Yeah, because it, it's, it's hard to... Imagine a photo of King Kong, and directly, they have 2,000 gems or 3,000, Some unknown people, okay, like regular people out there, have are able to post a picture and have immediately 2,000 likes or whatever, you know, and he's working hard at promoting the stuff and maybe one picture will only bring 20 and the next one may bring 10,000. You know, you don't know. It's, it's extremely difficult to, yeah, I know. I mean, uh, it, it's tough. I mean, it's just, you know, the problem is they keep changing the algorithms. They keep yeah. changing the system. Like even once you learn it, they change it on you. Yeah, so like, exactly. It's, it's also sort of, you know, a dog chasing its tail. Like yeah. you keep trying and keep trying, but you're never really going to be successful at it. And even if you are successful at it, something will go wrong and you'll lose it all, whatever. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really thinking there's no real science behind it. You just, uh, you just do what you have to do. You know, you post, you try to promote and it's a lottery. Well, okay, well, let, let's take that, let's go move away from that in a way. I've had conversations with people that basically say like, if an artist has the chance to basically, let's say that an artist has time, if they had the choice between like applying for a grant or applying for an exhibition or applying for a residency or working on their artist statement or doing other things that are sort of directly related to their art production and art exhibition and collectors, etc., that they should spend more time doing that than they should social media. Or do you think social media is that important these days? He believes that the grunt work associated with promoting your art by, you know, searching for grants and uh, residencies and so on is way more important than the short-lived social media. He says it's the social media is necessary, but it's really short-lived. Whereas if you do all the grunt work and try to find the right connections to to promote yourself with, you know, the old fashioned way, it's in the long term, much more profitable than social media. Social media is an, in addition to the classic way of doing things. Right, so, so basically like step one for an artist should be grants, funding, exhibitions, residencies, et cetera. Yeah. Step two, if you know, on your hierarchy of, of needs kind of thing, social media professional or taking spending more time and energy and resources on social media that's step two probably yeah that's what he one. thinks no no yeah. because okay yeah have you applied for any grants and residencies or anything like this the grants the funding no no no, he's uh, entirely self-funded, entirely. But là, je veux faire, je veux le faire avec la, avec en Provence. J'avais ce projet de faire cette fondation et faire une galerie. Yeah. So obviously, ça va se réaliser, mais avec d'autres artistes, sûrement pas qu'avec moi. Yeah. So obviously, obviously, it is something now he's uh, he must consider because he does not have limitless uh, funds, of course. So now he's uh, he's been self-funded for from the beginning, but now he has to look at other avenues, which means that uh, he wants to do exactly what you're talking about, finding partners to create. For example, he has an idea about creating a gallery in the south of France, but to be partners with other artists or investors 
who would then accept different artists mm -hmm. who of course have to promote themselves to to be part of the this exhibition so now he's trying to shift away from the self-funding to the more classic way of doing things like you were talking about strictly because it's he does not have limitless funds well, and, and that's the thing is like i come from america now in america the system is completely capitalistic basically an artist produces a piece puts it up on the wall or in the gallery it sells the money from the, the sales then funds making another piece completely nice cyclical yeah. capitalist society europe I find is very much more on the end of artist applies for a grant, comes up with an idea, applies for a grant, gets grant funding, produces a thing, exhibits the thing and doesn't sell it because it's not even intended to be sold. It's, it never gets sold, and, but, it, but basically their lifestyle and their artistic practice is paid for through the granting process or residency process or whatever other process. This is a very European centric idea which I love, don't get me wrong, I'm, I much prefer to go through the, that process than trying to sell because that's just a whole enigma in and of itself. So have, has he, is he looking into like getting a gallery representation? Like what are some of the ideas? Well, yes, he's always been trying to get that, but it's extremely difficult, you know, because the competition is fierce. He's been trying from the beginning but because he has the money, he said to himself, you know what, I can't wait after a gallery to accept me or after a, a museum to accept me, whatever. So he still, he still wanted to follow his dream. So he was able to self-finance, but simultaneously he was trying, he's been trying to get grants and, and things like this. But in his case, it's very difficult for several reasons. First, he's not known in the art world. Second, he does a lot of big pieces which require tremendous logistics so transport unloading space and that adds to the difficulty of being represented by the galleries well you could do the christo thing where you like you make smaller things or sell sketches and stuff in order to fund the bigger projects well until now he didn't have to do this so he wanted to go straight for the big pieces you yeah. know but uh, now now the time has come to actually for me, uh, yeah he's 65 he feels yeah. like the time is limited yeah so that's what i was saying before if you're young you have time and it means that you a gallery can take up to 15, 10, 15 years to actually represent an artist. So he doesn't feel like he has that luxury of time. So that's why he's been able to self-finance himself, self-finance his art, so I should say, because... Okay. <laughs> okay. You, got, you understand what I'm trying totally to say. Totally understand. Right. So, but of course, because the funds are limited he must at the same time try to find avenues with galleries and private collectors uh and so on okay and so has he had much success to this point as far as like selling works collectors things like this like my question is i'm not sort of asking his financials kind of thing but i'm asking as an independent artist, how easy it is, is it to connect with buyers, collectors, etc., without that liaison of a, of a curator or a gallery or a somebody sort of more geared towards sales? Tremendously difficult. 
it's getting increasingly difficult to do it the old fashioned way because galleries are not selling. And that's why I'm doing this podcast right. because the way I knew is not the way anymore. Yeah, it is no longer the way as you say. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And but there's no recipe. That's the problem. The, there, there, the recipe there never was a recipe. Right. Yeah. But if there is a recipe, it's called persistence. And I've heard that a lot of people have said basically like just just keep making like yeah, just, that's, it, that's it. Sooner or later, you're you no matter what you make sooner or later, the art market will suddenly find an interest in it. It's yeah. just continuing to be there. Just you have to just keep exactly. Working. You know, I was I was uh, I was telling him uh, back in back in 86 when I moved to America, I couldn't get a credit card to save my life. I couldn't. Oh, they're very right. free with their credit cards. But I mean, it was it was impossible for me to get a credit card. And the minute nobody w wanted to give me one, the minute I got the first one, they were coming in the mail. Absolutely. And next thing you know, I have 10, 12. And the same principle applies to, to his art. You know, the second he will sell that uh, piece, that, that big monkey, all of a sudden, everybody will want to buy his art. That's what I believe. That's the hope we all have yes. as artists. Like you, yeah. that you'll get that one little, that one perfect sale, that one exhibition in an yeah, institution, that one collector, whatever, that will become the catalyst to the rest of the career. Yeah. Yeah. We're all searching for that. But because nobody wants to be the first one, you know, I mean, look at struggling actors, you know, even guys like Brad Pitt and uh, George Clooney. I'm sure that when they struggled at the beginning and now look at them. I don't know but about it's Brad a, Pitt. But George well, Clooney did. He did. He did this funny stuff in the beginning of his career. Right, but it's you know the the principle is the same. Yeah. You know, you look at the success of someone today. Behind that is a long history of failures and uh, disappointments and so on. And I believe, I believe that uh, he's the piece that he has right now will be successful and be sold. And it's the beginning. Well, okay. Which leads to an interesting question. I've, I'm, I work on paper. I work small. I, you know, I work very easy, transportable, all that kind of stuff. What do you do with a five meter brass monkey when it's done with this exhibition? So it's going to be in sculpture line until end of the year for sure. Okay. Maybe it will be extended. Okay, um, but like when that's done, what do you do with it? I mean, I'm just asking because yeah, like to, I'm not a sculptor. Uh, like. Well, well, there's, there's a, yeah, there's a few options. Many ideas. You need to introduce this to the other country, Australia, for sculpture by the sea. Australia. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Japan. Or America. Hopefully I could see it in Japan. Las Vegas, in the hotel in Las Vegas. Well, but this is the thing. How do you reach out to these people? So, like, you've got this existing sculpture. You've got the existing publicity and social media that you can say like hey if you put this in your place you'll get the same exactly you know, thing mm -hmm. in exactly. your location but like how how do you even reach out to those who do you reach out to well i have no idea so i'm <laughs> sincerely asking yeah it's it's the you know you use Je propose et dispose. so you use the current success popular success as leverage you know you say exactly what you said you you contact people 
you have to find people who do you even well, for example these people all right That's let's say let's say you're talking he's talking about las vegas okay so what you do is you find a way to contact steve Wynn, you know of in in vegas sure, and uh, steve and win i know his email what do you how do you contact these right people? but that's 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 the thing that's the difficulty that is that's, but, that's what i'm trying to say but if you, you you can use he has leverage the thing is is made it's paid for as opposed to people who are only proposing an idea it's true and you know you're proposing an idea on the 3d rendering everybody can do this and then you say to the guy hey you know what it can be yours for 100k or 200k but you have to finance it no the thing is made the thing is popular it only needs to be exposed somewhere else and you say to Steve Wynn, for example, Steve, this thing would look great. This is what it brought. This much traffic, it brought this much. This, it is that popular and you can have it. You have leverage. But right now, of course, the best thing that could happen to him is that he would sell it here. Of course, yeah. Right, which can happen. And then he can build a second one. Which well, I, I was about to say, like, so is, is, has this been intended to be produced in an edition? Well, it all depends yeah, on this. Like, yes, you would like to so maximum of six because then if there are too many, the, the value yeah. drops. Right. And so there would be getting to. one for each continent. One for each continent. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a great aspiration to have. I like but that. First, you so, sell the first one. Right. Got to start somewhere. Right. If he does not sell it, then he has to move it. So ideally, he would move it from here to the next spot. But of course, he has to work on that right now. Right. And which, th I mean, this is the thing that I'm talking about, about like sculptures. You basically, if you're going to be working on this monumental scale in public settings, like you, you basically, you don't want there to come at a point where you have to bring this thing home and store it. Exactly. You, you want to, so once it's been produced and once it's out in public, you want to then start leveraging it and, and, and start sort of perpetually get it moving and exhibiting throughout the world because the last thing you need to do is then add on to your bills with storage costs, basically. Because yep. that's just, that defeats the purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a dilemma, of course. That's But that's the reality of, of doing, you know, monumental sculptures. Yeah, sure. It's not like you, if it was two meters, you put it in the van, you take it home, no big deal. Yeah, mine's easy. I just roll right. it up in a tube, exactly. throw, it back in my, throw it back exactly. in my apartment. It's simple. Because I can tell you, because I was helping uh, moving this thing out of the container and into position, and I can tell you it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's a nightmare. Because the Chinese don't put this in the container. Yeah, because the way it was put in a container to fit, they had to tip it oh. about 30 degrees. And so they built like a cage and a platform which is inclined. Which so forklifts can't. No, 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 no. You, yeah. need, you need a crane. You need a crane, but you need to balance the weight because the center of gravity is uh, weird, of yeah. course. So, yeah, obviously the logistics are terrible. So... Yes, he's hoping that this thing would stay here, be sold here, which can happen. Oh, absolutely. If not, he needs to organize transport to another exhibition somewhere. So it could be in Australia, it could be somewhere else in Europe. Sure. But this is something he has to work on. And if that does not happen, he has to take it home to France right. and store it. Yeah. And then who knows, maybe a week after that, somebody will say, hey, I want it. So he has to again transport it. That's right. unfortunately it goes with, uh, you know, doing uh, giant pieces. The 
idea of the podcast is to assist the listeners and myself in learning how the art market functions now. So contemporary visual art market. So in order to do this, I created a quantifiable outcome that I'm going to try to achieve. And I will do literally whatever you're going to tell me to do. I've set up the idea that I want to get a piece of my artwork exhibited in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. So the question is, what does he believe is something that I should do to put myself on the path? So it's not like the end goal, but the, but like just something to put my career on the right path, a, ch a choice I could do, some time I can invest in something, whatever, to get me on the path to have a piece of my artwork on exhibit Museum of Modern Art. First of all, it's a long path. Well, it's he thinks that without connections, it's impossible. It's a very, very small but super closed world, and you you cannot uh, break into this world uh, without connections. So. And it doesn't matter if uh, your art is exceptional or average or whatever. It, it's not. It has nothing to do with the quality. It's, you know, because after all, everything is about perception. Perception is the key word in everything, right? So, but to break into uh, this uh, art world, you need connections. So yes, they're very much solicited by. You know, the problem is that you have because of uh, globalization the whole world the whole world is your client but the whole world is your competitor and it applies to every field so in other words when you as an artist trying to or you're trying to break in you have another 200,000 people who are trying to do the same thing at the same time so how do you you know how do you break in you need to work on connections how do you work on connections? This is entirely up to you. But working on connections is really the key. And you have to do a lot of research, find out who knows who, and hopefully you can meet someone that's on the, on the lower level and try to work your way in get your foot in the door. But there's no magic recipe. It's a lot of, uh, lot of hard work a lot of uh, networking and also luck. Uh, there's a luck factor in this. Sadly, luck is one of those things that keeps yes. coming up in conversations, yes. Because not everybody has the funds to go to some cocktail on the, in the south of France. You know, you know, for example, that this man, this curator of uh, New York Museum will be in, you know, in, in the south of France in Central Pay. Who has the money to go to Central Pay for one week and pay a hotel and be hopefully run into somebody right exactly and you know that simultaneously there's another 50 people trying to do the same thing well that's the thing i mean those connections i mean i agree 100 percent on the whole thing of like it's just networking connections but they have to be sincere connections the, the one thing that you know has come up time and time again is like you can't make a connection with anybody in the arts industry with the intention of using them you, they, it must be a sincere connection. The people must actually like you or like your art or admire you or respect you or whatever it is that you cannot climb those ladders by using people.
Yes, sure. Sure. But a lot of people think you can. Yes. That's, that's, no, like I'm trying to make this clear for the listeners. Like, yeah. That is the wrong way to go about it. People don't appreciate being used. And in the art world, just like, well, in the photography world and all the other industries um, that he's worked in, is a, your reputation is everything. Your name and your reputation. So if you do something such as use somebody inappropriately or anything like this, and that gets out publicly that you've done this, your reputation is tarnished forever. Sure. Sure. But obviously there must be some substance behind your art. You cannot, you have to have something, you know, that I believe that, you know, okay, it's questionable. Again, it's perception. You see some art pieces in some places I will not name and you say, Dude, I my five year old can do ten times better than this. Oh, my brother and, says it to me about right. my artwork. But obviously, some people perceive it differently. But okay. times have changed, and this—you need to have substance. You know, you need to have something solid behind you that people actually believe in. You know, versus I don't know. It's it, it's it's really perception. It really is. Il faut déclencher les choses. Le, le truc, c'est de déclencher, aller ouvrir les, ouvrir les portes. Something, something has to trigger the interest of someone somehow. And this is. C'est sûr que si j'avais eu la possibilité de faire six singes comme ça d'un coup et les exposer en même temps, ça aurait multiplié. C'est là le buzz. Yeah, you're creating a buzz by, for example, if if he had the money to create six of the same sculpture and put them all around the world at the same exactly, time. Exactly. This would create a tremendous buzz. But let's face it, it's super expensive. Hmm. He's lucky that he has, you know, he's, he feels actually thankful that he has the money to finance the one. Oh, I'm sure but, that was not cheap. I mean, no, it's not. I mean, yeah. That's pretty expensive material. So financing, financing five or six at the same time, yeah, it would create a tremendous buzz. So it would open some doors, obviously, but at what cost? So. Et c'est aussi un succès populaire. Faut, faut pas se cacher que le monde de l'art, euh, ils sont un peu, un peu froid pour ce genre de. Yeah. Street art. Ou... Yeah. The the classic, the standard classic art world is not really open to. Um, to uh, a piece like this so you have to more rely on the popular success of uh, of the public at large let's say instinctively these people are not really open to this because he's tried to promote it uh before and it's like not like shocked but it's like uh we don't no, think it his work is a little bit of shock i mean there's a yeah. smidge of shock value yeah. in the work it's not dramatic shock value but it's there's a little bit of shock value but he's using traditional medium so like you know making a bull whip out of marble like, yeah exactly a so like, little bit of shock but a little bit of traditional so yes. you got the, so there's a nice little you know you're doing a big chimpanzee with his nuts out but it's done in bronze like so mixing the traditional mediums with sort of a pop arty shock kind of thing it's it's a it's, it's reasonably subtle enough but but what i find really interesting is the idea that you instead of going to the art industry and basically the art industry will deem him worthy of of the buyers he's he's intentionally choosing to go to the buyers and create drive and interest um, for the work from the buyers and then hoping that the art industry will pick up on that 
he has the feeling that uh, they're, uh, I don't know if I want to use that word, you know, but the classic. What word? I so want to know what word it is. Yeah. They're a little bit turncoats, you know, in this, Ooh. in this, well, the, the classic art world people, you know, curators and so on. So, for example, okay. they will say, they will say, no, this thing, there's no way. There's no way this thing is not interesting. It's, yeah. uh, it's and then three it's, years uh, later they'll be well, like, "Oh my god, I love it." Yeah. Well, it's it, all it takes is one curator from from this world to say, "I think this thing is magnificent." But this happens in every industry, right? You I know, mean, so I can think of the same thing in the music industry. I can think, think of the same. I mean, it, it, that's well, everywhere. But, Even uh, movies too. Yes. Like you know, a movie comes out and like ten critics might go like, "Oh, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it," and then one re highly respected critic will come and go like. This movie is a masterpiece, and all of a sudden the other critics are like, "Okay, maybe it's not so bad." Yeah, yeah sure. It, 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 yeah, that, that, that's uh, not turncoats. Yeah, that's well, it. I think that's a bit of a harsh word. Yeah, I, that's why I, I, I won't yeah. personally use that word. But it, it, there is a certain bit of a, 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 a trend following -y kind of a feel to it. Sort of like some people uh, hop on the bandwagon kind of thing. They feel more exclusive, you know, if, if, uh, if, the, if the public likes the piece, it's too popular, therefore I can't like it because it's not exclusive enough, you know? It's an interesting balancing act, though. Because, yeah. I mean, like, you, you, you need one of those parties to buy in. So either the public likes it or the art market likes it. And whichever one you can get to like it first will influence the other. Yeah, sure. So which sure. one comes first? It's, oh, it's, okay. a, it's a chicken or the <laughs> egg a, kind yeah, of a yeah. situation. It's impossible to tell. Mm -hmm. um, you just have, have to play it by... Yeah. You just have to play it by ear, by instinct. You have to see how it evolves. But what happens if you choose bank on the, the wrong one? You choose the wrong one and it doesn't work. Then well, then you go back to working in a bank. <laughs> kept, up, kept up your computer skills, have you? That's good. Where do you draw the line? As, as a struggling actor, how how much further you need to push it until you have your you finally have your break when do you decide this is what i want to do i believe i have talent i will be persisting or you look at yourself in the mirror and you say no this, this ain't gonna work i better get a real job yeah. this happens every day you know the beatles got turned down the first time they went to a record company so you have you have no talent you have no potential the next guy saw the potential and the first guy said, my God, what, what did I do? Oh, yeah. And they took in the Rolling Stones, you know. But that's how it works as an actor, as a musician, as a sculptor. It's the same principle from the beginning of time, except we have new technology that we can use to help ourselves. But there's no magic recipe. I believe persistence. All right. Persistence it is. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for all of your time. You're welcome. Was really nice talking to you.